Well, hello from Maui, Hawaii. It's Michael Benner with this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. This week we're going to talk about codependency, which I've called for many years now on my radio programs and in my seminars and private sessions, the most common neurosis in the world. Now, technically, I don't think it really is a neurosis. You could call it a a dysfunction. Uh, But whether you see it as a neurosis or a dysfunction, um, this is a, a serious trap that people fall into. And because it is so common and so widespread, everybody, to some degree, is codependent. And this is not something that's limited to the addiction community. Uh, however, many people see it that way because so much of the, what, what's been written about codependency has come out of the uh, AA community or um, the drug as well as alcohol addiction community and the intricate enabling relationships that we see around drinkers and users, people who abuse rather than use alcohol and uh, various drugs. So we'll begin here by describing it, and then we'll talk about what's wrong with it, why it's really in nobody's interest to pursue codependence or codependency, how to spot it in your life, and how to turn it around, because it really, simply said, is a looking glass phenomena. Um, it's it's topsy-turvy, upside down, backwards, and inside out, to be co-dependent. And I guess the best definition that I can give it, uh, I don't know of any common uniform definition for it, so I'll just give it my own words. A codependent person, and again, everybody does this behavior at times. Most people live here and will grow old and die, and it will never occur to them how dysfunctional their behavior really is. So look for this in your life as well, even if you're familiar with the concept. It's a slippery slope, and we can slide right into the helplessness and the victimization of being codependent. So here's my definition. Codependency, or to be codependent, is to basically exchange your emotional feelings for another person's emotional feelings. It's a swap. It's an exchange. You know how sometimes kids will wear each other's clothes, especially girls, and say, you know, they'll they'll change and each wear each other's clothes just for the kick. <clears throat> well, this is wearing each other's emotions. In other words, I will be in charge of making you feel positive and defending you from your hurt if you will do that for me. Actually, in most cases, it begins with, if you do this for me, which is build my positive self-esteem with positive 
affirmative statements about what a wonderful person I am, and protect and defend me from all of my negative feelings, my hurt, my sadness, my depression, my fears of inadequacy. If you take charge of my emotions, positive and negative, then I maybe will do that for you, you see. The problem is that this never works, even if both parties try. And, again, I I think a certain degree of codependence is understandable and acceptable. It's when it gets exaggerated and over the top that we get into trouble. And and I'll explain that in, in detail here today. Um, so a little bit of it is okay. Like, I do care about how you feel, and I have a desire to please you. Let's make it simple, all right? Uh, maybe I also have a desire to help you feel better or refine your hurt and negativity, but when that desire, when my want to help you in this respect becomes my need to help you, that's when we cross over the line. So most people want to please other people, but when you need to please other people, to earn from them through some kind of performance the basic esteem building, self-confidence building feelings that really only you can supply for yourself. When that desire becomes a need, you're codependent. You've crossed over the line. And now you're willing to betray yourself to act and speak in ways that you know are not in your self-interest in some kind of convoluted effort to perform, to please another person, so that they will be able to do for you emotionally what you seem to be either unwilling or unable to do for yourself, which is make make yourself feel good, make yourself feel okay. So <clears throat> let's say I feel guilty and ashamed about blah, blah, blah. Now, I don't have any skills for managing my guilt and shame, so all I can do is turn to my friends, whine and complain and moan to them about what a helpless victim I am and how I feel uh, guilty or ashamed, and would you please help me with that? Would you reassure me, tell me things argue with me, right? In fact, I not only want you to do that, I very much need you to do that, and I'm willing to put this relationship on the line and almost demand that that's your job, is to make me feel better. What are friends for? Right? You're supposed to help me to lift me out of this negative funk that I'm in from these guilty, shameful feelings and further shine a light on the positive bits 
So, <laughs> so help me feel more positive about myself, and that's your job. And in exchange for your good efforts, then I'll be your friend, and I'll do that for you. It's like two people driving down the freeway side by side, and I'm trying to understand the condition of my car by looking at your dashboard to figure out how fast you're going or how much gas there is in your gas tank or whether the radiator is overheating or the battery is running out of juice. I'm reading your dashboard to determine how I'm doing, provided that you do the same thing. It's silly, right? Now, let me give you a classic example that I've used for years and years in my private practice. And by the way, several people asked me recently, Michael, now that you're in Maui, do you still do that or are you retired? Uh, let me assure you, in, in my field, there is no retiring. Uh, I talk to people on the street and in the grocery store about personal development and spiritual development because I just burn for it. I long for it. I, it's, it's largely the only thing I care about. It's the most important thing in my life. So, yes, I, uh, I'm still doing telephone counseling. I now do one-hour sessions instead of the hour 45 I did when I lived in Los Angeles. I do one-hour phone sessions, and anybody could have a free introduction, 20 to 30-minute introduction. We call it an intake and orientation session. And I don't charge for those at all. So if you just want to talk to me, do one of those. You just want to talk to me, leave a message on my service. It's all over this website, but 818-569-3017. My service is still in Southern California in the Valley. 818-569-3017. And you can use that 24-7. It's just a answering service. Leave a message with your name and telephone number how I can help you say I want that free intake and orientation session. And uh, be sure to leave a phone number or an email address so I can get back to you. If you prefer email, I'll go that way. And we'll set something up. Okay. And um, if you like it, if you think I can be of help to you as a coach or as a counselor, as a teacher or a trainer, uh, the work I do goes way beyond life coaching. It includes life coaching. But it goes way beyond that to really developing yourself mentally, emotionally, and physically, critical thinking, problem-solving, decision-making, emotional intelligence, emotional management, why you feel the way you do, how to manage your emotions, peak performance for health and sports and other areas of your life, vitality, um, and the spiritual development that accrues as a result of all of that. And we can do a general program or specifically problem by problem, uh, whatever you want, whatever serves you. i got 35 years of experience, and every session I've ever done has been absolutely guaranteed. You don't like it, you don't pay for it. I don't think it's ever happened that anybody <laughs> I really – Now that I think about it, I really don't think anybody has ever not paid me 
uh, for a session at the end of the session um, because they weren't happy or whatever. Um, so anyway, the first one's free. The orientation and intake is free. Intake and orientation. Uh, that's a 30-minute session. So uh, let me let me know about that. I know a lot of people they they need some counseling. They know they're not crazy. They don't want to go to a therapist. They're not losing their mind. Um, they don't know who to call. Tell them, say, hey, call Benner. Leave a message on the service and see what he can do for you. First one's free. Okay. Now, here's an example that I often use in my very first session with people when I see codependency because it really needs to be addressed in all areas of self-improvement, self-help, personal development, whatever term, personal empowerment, personal growth, human potential, whatever hook you want to hang this on. We have to address codependency because everybody does it to varying degrees. Some people understand it, catch themselves, reverse it, but everybody's doing it. It's, it's the most common source of misery there is. So here's the way I explain it in the private sessions that I do. I say, imagine a, a life raft out in the middle of the ocean, like uh, the Titanic sank, and you're in a life raft with one other person. could be a lifeboat, or let's imagine it's a rubber raft, okay, and you're bobbing around out there in the waves, and from horizon to horizon, you don't see a thing, just you and one other person in this life raft, this rubber life raft in the middle of the ocean, and you have no life preservers, and you can't swim. It might come to your mind that you're going to have to rely on the other person's swimming skills or floating skills if this rubber life raft gets a leak in it and goes Glug, 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 what are you going to do? Well, I need your help with this. I cannot swim, and we have no life preservers. And the other person about this time says to you, by the way, I can't swim. I'll need your help as a swimmer. And so they both realize neither of us can swim. Neither of us has any idea how to stay afloat. If we lose this life raft, and because we have no life preservers here, uh, we're done. We're fish bait. We're going to the bottom. Glug, glug, glug. Right. Suddenly, as they ponder their situation, imagine that suddenly one of them gets a great idea and says to the other, Hey, I know what we'll do. <laughs> it just occurred to me. Since we can't save ourselves because neither of us knows how to swim, we're going to have to save each other. So let's make a deal right now that if I save you, you'll save me. And if you save me, then I'll save you. And at this point, I usually ask my client or my student, what's wrong with that? What's crazy about that? What's absurd about it? And it's funny, everybody knows that's ridiculous, but most people cannot explain why. And I think that's significant. 
I mean, see if you can do it right now. Neither of these guys can swim. They can't save themselves. They have no life preservers. They're in a rubber boat in the middle of the ocean, and they've decided that since they can't save themselves, they'll have to save each other. What would you say is the moral of that story? How would you explain to somebody that that knows that's absurd, it's ridiculous, if you can't save yourself, how could you save another person, right? So how would you say that? And the way I guess I've chosen over the years to say it even more precisely is as a kind of a moral or a general rule of the road, you can't do anything for another person that you're unable to do for yourself. And that's stunning. Let me say it again. You cannot do anything for another person that you were unable to do for yourself. Now, consider the most valuable thing in the world. What do we want more than anything in the world? No, not money. Who said that? (laughs) We want love. I want you to love me. Well, according to the moral of this story I just wrote, I just shared with you that I wrote, I can't do anything for another person that I can't do for myself. So does that mean that I cannot give or receive love in a relationship with another person beyond my ability, or you might say willingness, to love myself? Bingo. And now it gets difficult. Wait a minute. I love other people. They love me. And I don't even know what it means to love myself. Yeah, you do. You've got the basics of self-interest. You you want to be alive. You You don't do more than a few stupid things every day because... <laughs> Because we want to stay alive. We have self-interest. All right. But it's a point well taken. What does it really mean to go beyond basic self-interest and survival instincts to really loving yourself, right? to being interested in what makes you tick and why you care about the particular things that you care about? Why is that important to you? And what does it mean to love yourself? Especially since most all of us have this fear that we'll be perceived as arrogant or pompous or full of ourselves, all that in a bag of chips, whatever. If we are too self-confident, if we think we're too hot, right? So most of us, as we understand ourselves and love ourselves, put ourselves down. It's sort of like in school where the C student is more popular than the A student or the one flunking out. Nobody likes the F student that's flunking out. Uh, the, the all A student does a little bit better, but they're mostly ostracized for wrecking the curve. It's the C student in the middle that uh, often seems to be more popular. And uh, I remember in high school, the girls especially, because 
They mature faster and often are ahead of the guys by several grades, will actually play themselves down, will play stupid to make the guys feel comfortable. Actually, I've seen adults do that, much less high school and, and middle school. We pretend to be small. We don't want to love ourselves too much because, and, and you know, this is one of the greatest forms of uh, resistance in the whole field of personal development is the the resistance to putting yourself first and really loving yourself before you could do it to anybody else or for anybody else. That we've been told all of our lives that if you put yourself first, well, that's a selfish thing to do. You need to put other people's welfare ahead of you. Well, no, you don't. Uh, the truth is, as you put yourself first and develop yourself, it's possible to behave in a selfish way. Selfish people put themselves first and then behave without regard for their impact on other people. They're selfish and self-centered. But the most philanthropic and charitable people put themselves first, love themselves, trust themselves, are emotionally independent rather than emotionally dependent in relationships that are codependent, okay, and then are able to maximize their service and enhance or increase their contribution to the world by virtue of the fact that they've put themselves first. Second story, I'll go back to the lifeboat in a minute. Second story, you've been on an airplane when just before takeoff, the flight attendant tells you that if the cabin should depressurize, these air masks will fall, and be sure and put yours on first, and make sure it's in place and working before you help other people. Well, why is that not selfish? <laughs> it's obvious, because if you die, you're not going to help anybody, so you got right, you got to, you got to at least be in a survival mode to stay alive before you're able to help anybody, and yet they have to tell you that with every single airplane flight, because human beings are so good that under stress and pressure, um, and this this isn't always true, but often uh, people will sacrifice their lives to save other people uh, without thinking. Right? Adversity is a a real test. Um, there's famous stories in uh, the last century about the Titanic. I mentioned that earlier today when the Titanic sank. Um, people went polar and some men dressed up like women uh, t to get on the first lifeboats and get out of there as fast as they can. Imagine displacing women by dressing up in women's clothes to get on the lifeboat, women and children first. And yet other people gave their lives that some might survive. So I think you'll find both in any given population or situation. But nevertheless, human beings have to be told again and again and again, care for yourself first, put that air mask on you, and then you can help other people. That is not a selfish thing to do. 
And tell yourself now, that'll be an easy example for you to remember any time you wonder, am I being selfish by taking care of myself? Is it selfish to look out for number one? And my argument is no, not unless it's followed by selfish behavior. <laughs> but to look out for number one, to have more to give to other people, is necessary and, and of course, appropriate. Okay. Now let's go back to this classic uh, hypothetical that I've used for 30 or 35 years of my practice about the non-swimmers in the lifeboat. So you say, well, Michael, that's just a ridiculous story. I mean, I can't imagine a real-world scenario where anybody uh, could be that stupid. Neither can swim, no life preservers, are in a rubber raft, and they know they can't save themselves because neither can swim, so they promise to save each other. What? How stupid is that? Well, how stupid is it as a young, well, person of any age to meet somebody that you're interested in? Let's say you're two single people, whether you're teenagers or young adults or both, you know, a widow and a widower or divorcees or whatever, and you meet somebody you're interested in and you start making deals, mostly unconsciously, but sometimes even spoken out loud. I love you. When the other one says, I love you. That suggests that we're giving love to the other person. But it's really born of a hope that they love us. If we were really going to be honest about what we mean when we say, I love you, is, do you love me and can you fill me? I'm lonely and empty. Can you fill my empty heart? Because if you do that for me, then I'll do that for you. And we'll have a relationship. I'll love you if you love me. Two lonely, empty people, like the two non-swimmers in the lifeboat, coming together, having no idea how to love themselves or fill themselves with love, much less share that love out of their bounty, and they come together and make a Faustian bargain, really. A promise they'll never be able to keep. It's well-intentioned. Maybe I shouldn't call it Faustian, because it's certainly well-intentioned. I'll love you and be dedicated to you and care for you forever. But there's a condition, isn't there? As long as you do that for me. Well, how long does that work? In most relationships, simple codependency, I love you, if you will love me, I will love you, and I do love you, and you do love me, so let's do this thing. We're both empty, we can fill each other. In most relationships, that will last from 60 to 90 days. Some people have a problem getting past the first couple of weeks. 60 to 90 days is how long most relationships last. Because as soon as you begin to feel unloved, and you will, you turn to the person that you made the promise to. And you say, I thought we had a deal. And the other one says, yeah, we do. And the first person says, well, I'm 
you know, not feeling that love anymore. You were going to fill me with all of your love, and you were going to pay attention to me and care for me and sacrifice for me, and I'm not feeling it. I'm feeling sort of empty and alone. Why did you stop loving me? And the other one says, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm loving you as much as ever. You're just rejecting it or not getting it or whatever. It's not coming into you. Or maybe they say, funny you should mention it. I've been wondering the same thing. I'm not feeling quite as loved. We had that argument. We disagreed. You got passive aggressive. You went stone cold and silent and uh, shunned me. And that hurt me. You hurt me. You made me feel bad. You made me angry. You made my feelings sour. You, who gave me love, now give me hurt. This is core codependency. You are emotionally dependent upon another person. They are emotionally dependent upon you. That's called codependency. You're, you're both depending on the other one to save you. Non-swimmer in the lifeboat. Now, the only alternative, obviously, is to be emotionally independent. This is the beginning of emotional intelligence, EQ. And emotional management is to be accountable for and take responsibility for your emotional feelings as responses to a situation. Your feelings are never done to you. They are stimulated by other individuals and stimulated by events and circumstances, but the emotion comes out of you. It's your feeling, and it's about you, right? Just like your thoughts are about other people and tell you very little about yourself, they're way too critical to be used in that way. Emotions tell you about the self and very little about the other people. That always surprises folks. Hey, Michael, if that's true, why haven't I heard it before? Well, I don't know why you haven't heard it before, but it is true. You have two kinds of intelligence. IQ, the mental nature, is for understanding everything but you. With deductive logic and reasoning, rational thinking. And you can think a little about yourself, and you can certainly think about your feelings, but primarily thoughts are objective. They're about everything but you. Feelings, on the other hand, tell you nothing about the person that made you feel that way. Right Now, that's a little overstated. If five people told you that you were stupid, and then a sixth person who you really love and cherish said the same thing, that would probably hurt more than the first five that you don't care so much about. So I'm a little overstating. You can't really separate thoughts and feelings completely. But having said that, there's an overlap, right? Thoughts have feelings, and you can think about the feelings. They go back and forth. They're inextricably related. But nevertheless, the tendency of a thought is to be about sub about objects out in the world, and the feelings are subjective intelligence. Your EQ is about the subject, and that's you. So your emotions are yours. They're your responsibility 
because they are responses and they come from you. And we have to learn to take ownership and be responsible and accountable, substituting even-tempered, well-reasoned responses for the knee-jerk reactions that we call stimulus response. See, there's a management point in the middle of what's done to you and some reflexive action, a point of consciousness in the middle called attitude or point of view where you get to decide the context and manage how do I feel about this statement? Somebody just said I'm stupid. Who was it? Are they high credible? Who are they in my life? And furthermore, are they right? Do they have a point? Maybe I'm not stupid, but right now I'm behaving in a stupid fashion. But you know, they're responsible for what they say. You have to be responsible for how it makes you feel. And so the antidote is emotional independence, freedom. To be responsible for your emotions is not to shift the blame from somebody else to blaming yourself. It's to abandon blame altogether and find the freedom, the liberation, in knowing that you are the ultimate determinator of how you feel and what it means that you feel the way you do. This is a personal, subjective response. All of your emotional feelings are very intimate, subjective responses. They reveal the inside of you. And so the very statement, he made me angry, she made me jealous, they made me whatever is absurd. I got an email the other day for, from a guy who said, I used to listen to you on ABC 20-some years ago, and I remember this guy calling about blah, 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 and I actually remembered the call. It was funny. I, you know, people ask me, do you remember talking to me? No, I really don't. They say, well, I remember talking to you. Well, yeah, you called the show, but I, <laughs> I talked to thousands and thousands of people. But in this case, I actually remembered this call. And it was a guy who was ringing up the show to say, Michael, I need your help. People make me get into fights. Can you imagine? People make me get into fights. He's probably a little guy with a Napoleonic complex and, you know, not comfortable or confident in who he is. It was easy to pick on him, and he'd take the bait. And my response to him was, people have egged me on too, but nobody ever made me get into a fight. You know? Nobody ever made me do anything, short of Dick Cheney and his waterboarding, and I'm not sure uh, anybody can make anybody else do anything without some significant threat of, of injury or hurting somebody else. So we've got to get clear on this. The moral of the lifeboat story and the oxygen mask story is you're in charge of your emotions, and you cannot love another person. 
that is, give them feelings of love, or receive from them feelings of love beyond your ability and willingness to love yourself. And so it is for all feelings. Other people's feelings are not about you. They cannot give you good feelings. They cannot protect you from bad feelings. They might seem to be able to, but you're the one that's agreeing or disagreeing with what they're saying. And there is the power. It's not what somebody says to you that matters. It's do you agree or disagree or fall into that huge chasm in the middle of I don't know whether to believe or disbelieve this other person. That's why we say all hypnosis is really self-hypnosis. Because thoughts, other people's thoughts and feelings have no power over you unless you allow it unless you don't understand the basic truth that I'm speaking today about healthy emotional independence. Take ownership of your feelings. It doesn't mean you're to blame. It means you are free to decide what your emotional feelings reveal about your interior landscape, about your identity and your motives. Who you are, and I mean it, who you are is not a decision you make with the mind. It's a feeling. It's an attitude. Who you are is what you care about, not what you think about yourself. And your motives, the reasons you do the things that you do, the, the, the circumstances and events and relationships, the people and, and animals and, and the environment in your life that you care about, that's, uh, there's identity and motive in that. Take some ownership of your emotional feelings. Use your thoughts to figure out other people. Take your thoughts to school. Take your thoughts to work. Take the slicing and dicing, deductive nature of logic and reasoning to understand the whole physical universe. And again, I, I, I guess I have to hasten here less I'd be misunderstood to add, you can never completely separate thoughts and feelings. Um, you have to use the mental thinking nature to discern a feeling. And every thought has a feeling, so they're inextricably linked. But nevertheless, they have their polarities. Thoughts are objective about everything but you. Feelings are subjective, and though seemingly done by external events, the emotion is your response, right? So just as two non-swimmers in the lifeboat could not save each other, I can't swim. I can't do for you anything I'm unable to do for myself. The idea of filling each other with love is absurd. If you like dogs or cats, and I have a little puppy or a kitten, that's just adorable, and I hand this little puppy or this little kitten to you. And the puppy's licking your face, or the kitten curled up in your lap and is purring, turns out that little motorboat of theirs. And I ask you, how do you feel? You might say loved, loving, and lovable, one of those three, or maybe 
two of the three or maybe all three. I feel loved, loving, and lovable. I feel love. You love the animal? Well, I feel the animal loves me. Look, this puppy's licking my face. Oh, really? So where does this love come from? And again, if this is a client or a student of mine, they're usually baffled. Where does love come from? Well, again, most people think it comes from others. So that means if I need a human being to give me a feeling of being loved, loving and lovable, and I feel that way about the puppy or the kitten, then I guess the puppy and the kitten must love me. The the puppy has made a decision to love me that I'm feeling. I guess I'm psychic. I feel the puppy's love. Or based on the behavior of the puppy or the kitten, I know it loves me, or at least likes me a whole lot. I say, well, that's very interesting. So you have a rapport with the animal. They say, yeah. And I say, so sort of an empathy. And they go, yeah, Uh, sort of a telepathy then. So I guess you know all of their feelings, right? And they pause and look at me. Well, if you can feel their love for you, then I guess you know when the dog needs to go outside, you know, to be exercised, or the cat's going to go use it. You can read their minds. And that's the point where most of my clients and students consider that maybe something about the animal is bringing love out of them that was already there, but it took me handing you a puppy or handing you a kitten for that love to be evoked from within. In other words, the love you feel, having been handed the the puppy or the kitten, was inside you all along, but it was dormant, waiting for a reason to be experienced and to be felt. And if you consider how much of our lives we spend feeling lonely, and unloved to consider that extraordinary love is already within you waiting to be experienced and you just don't have the keys you don't know how to access it so this lady ends up with 24 cats (laughs) and 18 dogs so they feel loved when you could close your eyes and relax and just imagine being loved and access that love you see this is what we're talking about a basic swap an emotional swap where we blame other people for our feelings you don't love me anymore I mean, our poetry and our songs, our legends and our myths. Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Snow White. Oh, when will my true love come? And guys and girls, men and women, fall into this trap. The women play Sleeping Beauty. Their lives have no meaning until the kiss of their true love awakens them from their trance. 
And guys, we got to be Prince Valiant on the on the beautiful white steed riding down out of the hills. I will save you, my fair maiden. I will kill the dragon. And, and oh, my lord! Great drama. I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> it's far out. It's beautiful, but uh, it's elementary. It's for kids. These are fairy stories. Not to put down fairies. It's it's just naive. Love. Acceptance. Admiration. Appreciation. is not a commodity that we can hand back and forth. The way I would give you a bushel of apples and you give me back a bushel of oranges. You can't really give love or receive love. It's not a commodity. It's an energy. It's a magnetism that exists between two people. There is no giving or receiving. And so instead of being these empty vessels devoid of love coming together, and hoping that you, out of your empty, don't-know-how-to-love-yourself place, is going to provide me a feeling of love, and out of my emptiness, I'm going to fill your emptiness, two empty, unloved people coming together, promising to fill each other with love, is just as absurd as the two non-swimmers saying, well, we'll just save each other if we can't save ourselves. And, and, of course, the crazy thing is it appears to work, doesn't it? It looks like it works, at least for the first 30, 60, maybe 90 days, it looks like it works. Oh, my God, they're really filling me. I woke up this morning feeling wonderful, so loved after that date we had last night and all those sweet things we said back and forth, as if they gave you that love. All they did was stimulate the love that was lying dormant within you, and the puppy could have done that. Get a dog, right, or a kitten, or a goldfish or whatever. Or go do something nice for other people through service and charity. Be a volunteer. You'll get all kinds of love, not through the appreciation but through the act of giving. The love is in the giving, not being appreciated or acknowledged for it. There's all kinds of things that you can do to learn to love yourself, to fill yourself, and then guess who you attract in relationships? Because like attracts like in the spiritual plane. So the empty person is looking for an empty person, a person filled with self-love. For all love is divine. I mean, this is, there is no love, really, that isn't ultimately connected to the source of life itself. God is love. Life is love. Right? Uh, romance is not the highest frequency of love. Compassion is probably the highest frequency of love that we know about, where you love your enemy and you love strangers and you love people you don't even like but we're getting ahead of ourselves. How about 
loving yourself before you work on compassion, uh, maybe some compassion for you. Right. And then who are you going to attract magnetically? That's right. Somebody else who's already filled with love. They're not all needy. They're not all clingy. It's not, I've got to have you. Don't leave me. I can't live without you. It's like, I'm doing just fine, and you seem to be doing just fine. You want to hang out? You want to share our interest and our kindness and our love from an abundant place, from our bounty rather than our emptiness? The tragedy is that given the early stages of human evolution here, most of us just haven't gotten to that place yet. And all around us are people that are getting older every day, approaching their ultimate demise, still looking outside of themselves for love, when all love is divine. Love is sacred. Love is God's breath. Love is your breath. Love is the life force. The chi, the ki, the kundalini, the prana. It's the way life feels. When you stop resisting and open yourself as an instrument or a vehicle or a vessel of conscious awareness as capital L, love. And then romantic love or emotional love is a subset of that life force love, that capital L, higher love. Okay? That's uh, that's my best uh, little intro. There's a lot more, but it's about all we can do is introduce these topics on the mystery school. And, uh, you know, I should mention we've uh, Steve Steve and I have been talking and I have um, a group of people that I work with called the Ambassadors Committee and we've been talking a little bit about doing seminars uh, and workshops here in Maui and uh, we're trying to figure out how to do that. The airfare is out here and the um, room and board, the lodging out here is much more affordable now than it was even a year ago. It's uh, There's some great deals coming out here. And to be able to tie that trip where you got plenty of time for sightseeing and enjoying the natural beauty of Hawaii, and I don't mean tourist hotels and golf courses, expensive shops. I'm talking about we'll take you into nature. We'll take you into the rainforest to remote isolated beaches, so beautiful they'll take your breath away. And combine that with the training and the insight work uh, on any one of a number of self-improvement, personal empowerment topics. So we're looking for a way to do that. And if you have an idea for a theme, a special kind of workshop, uh, that would allow you to come to Hawaii, have a wonderful time, vacation here, and, you know, deduct it as an ex- educational expense because, I mean, legitimately, because you you took a training in stress management or uh, interpersonal communication or whatever. Uh, 
know a lot of people would be interested in that. So I wanted to let you know that we're working on that. Send me an email. Just use my initials at theagelesswisdom.com. So MB at Michael Benner, Mary Baker. MB, MB at theagelesswisdom.com. And let me know what you think of that idea. Also, most of you, and everybody listening now that gets the newsletter every week, uh, you, you got a survey yesterday or the day before, and if you get a chance to take that, if you've not taken it, uh, it really helps us. Most people don't. And so those that do take the three minutes that it takes to answer just 11 questions, that is very valuable feedback. And I'd encourage you to do that. There is no solicitation for fundraising at the end. It's just an honest, straightforward, brief survey, 11 questions, where we ask you about this webinar, about the premium audio program at FocusedPassion.com and uh, your listening habits and your general interest in personal development and spiritual development topics. So uh, check your email for that and take the survey. Again, you can do it in two to three minutes, and we'll really appreciate that. Well, let's uh, check out the question box here and see if we have some folks online that want to say hi, and if you have any comments, use the page right in front of you. If you're listening live today on the, uh, what is it, the 17th of May, 2009, if you're listening on the telephone, you can't do this, and if you're listening from the future via replay, you can't do this, but for those online, just say hi, and we'll take a few of these. Then we'll do a guided imagery on codependence, help you to get that straightened around, and uh, we'll call it a day at that point. First of all, let's see, in Irvine, California, I take these in the order they came in. Robert is with us, and he says, Aloha, Michael. Uh, glad to be joining you again for a wonderful webinar. Thank you, and thank you, Robert. Nice to hear from you in 73. In Los Angeles, Yong Yi is with us and says, Aloha, Michael. I am Yong Yi from Los Angeles, and I have to leave you now, but I will listen to the archive tonight. Hard, uh, let's see, hard to catch up with you uh, live, but I've been listening to you on the archives. Uh, thank you, Yong. I appreciate that. Most people do. Many more people listen to the archives. Um, we can tell by bandwidth. I don't have raw numbers but I can tell by the amount of bandwidth that's being used. And more people listen to the replay than are able to join us live. So it's another reason we want you to use the uh, send one to a friend gadget at the archives to help raise our visibility and the awareness that these free shows are available. In Tucson, again, as always, Lorelai is with us. Hello, Lorelai. She says, Aloha, Michael. I love this class. Great as always. Thank you, thank you. Peace and love to you. And Doreen, thanks, Lorelei. Nice to hear from you. <clears throat> Just up the street a bit in Honolulu, Bert is with us. And he says, hello, Michael. He says, I know this is off today's topic, but I was curious about something. You recently made a statement that intrigued me. 
said that instead of dropping bombs in Afghanistan and Iraq, maybe we should be dropping food and books. He says, I am no way in favor of the United States waging war in these regions, and I am compelled to ask you a couple of questions about that. If you had the position and power to make the call, what three books would you drop along with the food? Oh, Bert, you're really going to put me on the put me on the spot here. <laughs> uh, my other question is, how would it, and to what extent might the food and books impact its recipients? Keep up the good work, Michael. Uh, please give my best regards to Doreen. Aloha, Bert. Hello, Bert, and aloha, and mahalo. Uh, Boy, that's tough, Bert. What three books? I'll trust my intuition. The first one that comes up is The People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. Uh, that would be a good book. Uh, I'm tempted to say the New Testaments or the the Sutras of Buddha or the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali but that stuff gets so easily mistaken for religion that I'm afraid it might be counterproductive but there there are some wonderful books of uh, inspiration in religion and then the uh, the books outside of religion gosh metaphysical books or spiritual books. I can tell you the ones that made a big difference in my life, but I'd ha it's hard off the top of my head to answer a question like that, especially if I'm going to be held to it. Uh, I I'll tell you, most influential in my life um, have been Richard Bach's Illusions, Adventures of a Reluctant Messiah, Illusions by Richard Bach. I just love that and uh, made such a big, awoke me up, really woke me up. I don't know what the people of Afghanistan or Iraq would make out of it. Um, and I could name a few others. I do have a book list on my site. Uh, Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Nolman was a real significant book for me. Um, I really like um, the uh, the the uh, I'm trying to think of his first name, Alan. Uh, he wrote uh, boy, now I'm blanking on it. Isn't it funny? I'm putting myself under pressure here. Um, what is that book? Bert, I can't answer. As a Man Thinketh. As a Man Thinketh. That's the book. I just wish I could remember right now. I'll remember in a few minutes. I'll tell you before the end of the seminar who wrote it. Um, As a Man Thinketh, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, Illusions, Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States. That's pretty negative, though, pretty harsh, in the, but it, it it confesses the crimes of the United States. And 
than anything inspirational. Again, the New Testament, Buddha Sutras, uh, the works of Patanjali, the Quran I see as a beautiful book. It just breaks my heart that some, you know, fundamentalist um, hate mongers would use the Quran the way fundamentalist hate mongers uh, in, in the Christian religion or the Jewish religion would do the same thing. You know, there is no difference between a jihad and a crusade. And uh, it's just, the problem is not the religion, of course. It's that uh, people tend to take it literally and dogmatically uh, rather than see it for the poetry or the allegory that it really is. I'm afraid you got me stuck. I'm not happy with that answer, uh, Bert, but. I, I still believe that. Again, if we if we loved our enemy, if we fed them and educated them, right? That's what it's about. Educate them, build schools, and feed them, and they'll stop being your enemy. And when some significant number of people get this, we can save a trillion dollars or more a year. We can take the Pentagon apart. We won't need that. If every time somebody gets angry at us, we feed their children and build schools, it's a lot cheaper than, than war, I'll tell you. And it would work. This is not my original idea. Okay? People have been saying this forever. Let's go back to Irvine and another Robert. Robert Fiegel says, Aloha, Michael, learning to love ourselves should be the very first thing they teach in school. What happier place the world would be. I was thinking it would be great to have an online download worksheet or workbook. Excellent topic. Have a great week. Uh, I'll give that some thought, uh, Robert. I will. And in Cerritos, Kareem, Aloha, Michael. Thanks for the show. This is so true. A lot of people are trying to save people in relationships, but they don't have their own stuff together. It's hard to resist the urge to go for this type of thing sometimes, though, because people do get lonely, and frankly, they just want some physical affection, even though they know they're not ready for a real relationship. Thanks again in peace. That's a good point. A lot of people will settle for less, and, uh, you know, Still, if you haven't got it in your heart, you know, uh, that that's one of the crazy things about relationships. You, one day you think you love somebody, and I guess that's why the word infatuation was invented. You know, a week or two later, that love seems to diminish so significantly, you wonder how you could have been so confused. And again, it's the idea that Love comes from other people or from dogs and cats or the world around you, and it does not. Love comes through you. Its source is divine. It is the way life feels uh, when you don't resist, when you just accept the reality. And even the word acceptance, I could do a whole seminar on acceptance because most people think to ex if, if they hear me say with this uh, Zen-like, uh, passion to simply accept reality that flies in the face of everything we're taught um, 
if you see accepting it as the end of things. So give up, throw in the towel, just accept it. Um, in personal and spiritual development, acceptance is the place to begin, not the place to end. You begin by accepting the reality of things, and then you refine, you redeem, you save or uplift it. Whatever is good about it, you keep, and whatever is bad, you let go. And that's magic. And that's transformation and transmutation and ascension and resurrection and salvation and, you know, the more all-inclusive uh, definition of, of what those words mean, even metamorphosis like the caterpillar to the butterfly. Well, it's about 12 minutes after the hour. Let's do... Um, our guided imagery exercise take about 10-15 minutes and then we'll call it a day thank you so much uh, for being here Just you close your eyes and relax get comfortable sit up straight feel balanced and centered do a couple of head rolls and a few shoulder shrugs. Sort of get loosey-goosey. Feel sort of limp, but well-balanced. So that you sit erect, your head is above your spine, your shoulders are back. And yet you feel very relaxed and very safe. And I'd like you to take a slow, deep breath, inhaling through the nostrils. And as you peek, hold for a moment, and as slowly as you can, exhale now through the nose or the mouth. Take at least the same amount of time to exhale. And do this two or three more times, slow, deep breathing, pulling in the strength and power. And as you exhale, ah, feel the letting go, that sigh of relief that is a sigh of release throughout your body, muscles relaxing and unwinding. Your eyes are closed, your breathing is slow, your body is relaxing, feel the muscular tension falling away. You're feeling very safe. And imagine in your mind's eyes you allow my voice to guide you. A paradise a garden, a beautiful place of peace. A place in nature that is entirely from your imagination. Or reminds you of a place you've actually visited that you thought was so spectacularly beautiful and peaceful. And you hear the sounds of this beautiful place of perfect peace as my voice guides you. And you seem to be walking through the garden, whether it's a sunny, warm meadow full of sunshine and wildflowers, a shady place or a cool forested area, an enchanted forest with a little stream, a cascade, a waterfall, and maybe a crystal clear lake 
reflects the forest like a mirror. And you find a place to sit. Anywhere that occurs to you, put yourself down in that spot. Sitting upon the earth or perhaps a log, a tree stump, or a big old rock. And even if you're sitting on the rock, I want you to imagine feeling connected to what you're sitting on. Feel connected to the rock, to the log or the tree stump, connected to the earth as if rooted or grounded or electrically wired in, even to the rock, wired into the rock you may be sitting on that is connected to the earth, mostly rock and dirt and water, the mineral kingdom, the ground of physical dense, feel plugged in or rooted, as if all the static nervous energy in your body is grounded and drained away harmlessly into the earth. At the same time, imagine on the very top of your head, the crown chakra, a receptivity to a downward precipitation of spirit, like a a gentle spring rain precipitating slowly down upon you. Or you could imagine a laser beam no thicker than a pencil coming into the top of your head. And you choose the color, or it may be many colors. Or a kind of a vortex, a little spinning tornado, a little whirlwind of energy at the very top of your head, however you imagine it. Be connected at the top of your head in a receptive way to the spiritual realms above you. So that You're sort of like a battery. You're grounded on one end, and you're receiving positive energy on the other end. Your polarities are the earth and the sky. And you're the battery in the middle. And you're feeling yourself being recharged and restored and revitalized. For you are the son, you are the daughter, the offspring the progeny of spirit and matter, of sky and earth, and connected to both. You draw upon both the physical body as an instrument for the presence on earth of a spiritual energy being. And imagine yourself being filled with this energy, this chi, this ki, kundalini, prana, holy spirit, holy ghost, elan vital, love, the life force, 
that feels warm and safe and by its very nature fulfilling. Experience yourself. Even the feeling you're just making this up is exactly the right feeling. Experience yourself being slowly filled by the presence of love, allowing you to feel safe and even more relaxed, cared for, cared about, and connected to all things. in magical and mystical ways, such that the appearance of being separate dissolves, and you're left with a feeling of being part of one thing. Through the magnetic, radiatory, and cohesive nature of love as a divine emanation. As an illumination. For while it feels warm and safe, as if a presence that imbues every cell in our bodies, it fills us with light that we may see more clearly and understand more completely the ever bigger picture of things. Love and light elevates us and we need do nothing to fill ourselves other than stand receptive. Open to the downward impress of love as spirit. As the force behind the power of the one life. If the father aspect of divinity is power and divine will, the force, the offspring, the son or daughter, of the Most High is the force, the push behind it and its magnetic, radiatory, and cohesive everywhere equally present, not only as emotional feelings of affection and joy and intimacy and fulfillment, but bringing meaning to our lives, identity, motive and profound understanding. And as you become filled, full and fulfilled, imagine this love beginning to radiate out in all directions. And the more you offer it up and give it away freely, without conditions, without a, a need for any kind of repayment, for this is not from you, but through you, that you radiate love without condition into the world. The more you give, the more you receive. You enhance the flow by giving 
what it is you wish to receive. You give your love away through acts of kindness and compassion and appreciation brotherhood and sisterhood and and camaraderie. Simple kindness is a good word for it. Caring and sharing and doing for others that old golden rule of treating others as you wish to be treated. Give away your love. Radiate it out into the world so that you make room in this vessel of being life in form for still more love and the more you give the more you receive and thus you enhance the flow and have still more to give out of your bounty at any time you find yourself feeling empty and disconnected and separated alienated and isolated And you're looking for somebody to fill you, whether they seem to be full or another empty person matters not. That you want them to fill you up. And that you will dance for your supper. You will perform. You will jump through hoops. You're even willing to betray yourself and behave in ways that are really not in your interest. If only you could earn from them some of that love some of their kindness and appreciation. Remember that simple golden rule. Give away what it is you wish to receive. Learn to love yourself and and care for yourself. It'll make you kinder. It will make you more humble, not more arrogant. The arrogant, pompous, conceited individual is one who does not know the truth of who they are. And they think themselves into this false identity. The more you know the truth of who you are, the kinder and more forgiving, the more compassionate and loving you will be. And then out of your bounty you give, needing nothing in return. For this isn't your love. You're just passing it on. So many ways. Life is a relay race. Pass it on. If you feel that you are forgiven, then forgive others. If you feel that you are loved unconditionally, then why look for reasons to transform your anger and your sense of vengeance and your grudges into forgiveness, kindness, and compassion. It's given to you freely, love and consciousness. Use it to give it away without reservation. Be an instrument or a vehicle for the unimpeded, unresisted flow of life through you and out into the world. And you get to decide where to put your attention. What particular areas of interest to channel this consciousness 
this awareness that you are love incarnate. Feelings you can bring with you back into the room as you reorient yourself, remembering what you'll see in a moment when I ask you to open your eyes and telling yourself that you'll retain without effort all the important lessons you've learned today and experienced as a radiant spiritual being in form but so much more above and free of form and now take a slow deep breath fill your lungs with strength and power and as you exhale uh, open your eyes now wide awake and alert feeling rested and refreshed with a full memory and a deep understanding of today's lessons. Hey, that's all the time we have. Thanks so much for being with us. Join us every Sunday whenever you can. And if you're unable to be with us live, then listen to the replays at your convenience. They're all under the web teleconference tab at theagelesswisdom.com. Some really nice articles on this website under Wisdom Nuggets. Check out the section on Abolish War and the other one on Abolish Hunger, and you'll find the phone number if you want to call me about that free intro, too. I'm doing private work on the telephone in one-hour sessions, okay? And the intake is free, so somebody you know is hurting and needs some help, pass that phone number along, 818-569-3017. We'll set them up for a free intake session and orientation session. And if you're so inclined, be sure and subscribe at FocusedPassion.com to our premium audio program. It's a whole lot more than a podcast. It's 45 minutes to an hour long, powerful stuff, Steve and I together. I think it's worth 99 cents, and I think you will too. In any event, go to FocusedPassion.com. Remember the ED, FocusedPassion.com. Click on Send Me the Free Stuff. Get the trial six complete programs to listen to and then if you like it you can subscribe for less than four dollars a month 99 cents a program okay hey thanks again and we'll talk to you next week as always be gentle love life and take care of each other from maui hawaii aloha